Hello there, friends, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are looking for new expressions of faith and spirituality outside the fences and the walls of the institutional church. We've got a great episode for you today with Faith Van Horn talking about atonement doctrine through the lens of trauma. I can't wait to get to this episode, but before we get to it, I'd like to quickly remind you that you can find all of the content that our team is creating for our community on our website, accidentaltomatoes.com, where you can find not only every episode of this podcast, but a variety of articles on issues regarding faith, justice, and liberation. And if you're inspired by our work and would like to support us, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, or you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes to learn how you can help us create and curate content that's helping people navigate the difficulties of spiritual trauma, deconstruction, and the work of just trying to build a better world for us all. Accidental Tomatoes is the official content site for New Wineskins, a non-traditional, liberation-oriented, online faith community rooted in deep, authentic conversation. New Wineskins is a member of the Reconciling Ministries Network and is open to anyone seeking to explore faith and spirituality on a deeper level. If you're looking for a community where you can express your deepest doubts, ask your hardest questions, and be welcomed unconditionally, feel free to visit one of our weekly Zoom gatherings. Learn more by visiting newwineskinsnetwork.org. So Faith Van Horn is our guest again for this episode. Faith is a doctoral student at the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom and serves as the co-director for Red Letter Christians UK, which we're going to hear a little bit more about in just a few minutes. As I mentioned a moment ago, Faith's doctoral work is centered on how atonement theories, essentially the meaning of Jesus's crucifixion, can be viewed by survivors of trauma, especially those who have survived sexual abuse. We also welcome Brad Davis back in the co-host role for this episode. And so please give a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to Faith Van Horn. If you believe that the cross is about um, humanity deserving punishment and Jesus just taking that punishment in your place, it's like, oh, I'm absolved of everything. But how do, how is that transformative? If you're like, oh, well, Jesus took it all for me. It's like, then... <clears throat> Where's the accountability there in in faith communities? Well, hi there, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm really excited about this episode today. We have Faith Van Horn uh, as our guest today, and you know him and love him, Brad Davis, joining us in the co-host chair today from the free state of MacDowell, down in Welch, West Virginia. How are you doing today, Brad? They know me. I don't know if they love me. Hey, Joe. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yeah, I, I think they love you. I think they love you. I think uh, you're kind of making a name for yourself down there in the coal fields. So we're glad to have you. Glad, glad to, to you. be here always. Yeah. So again, our, our guest, and thanks to Brad for introducing uh, Faith to uh, to me and to to the folks here at Accidental Tomatoes. Uh, Faith Van Horn is joining us uh, from the United Kingdom. Um, so Faith, welcome to the podcast. We're going to talk about, uh, some of your, the doctoral work that you're doing and your work with, um, Red Letter Christians in the UK. Um, but before we get to all of that, uh, just wanted to say welcome and uh, give you a chance to introduce yourself to the folks. Thank you so much. Uh, well, my name's Faith Van Horn, as you said, 
I am currently a PhD student at the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom. That's not Birmingham, Alabama. That's Birmingham, <laughs> England. And um, I'm looking at the doctrine of atonement, which is kind of the Christian understanding of what uh, Jesus's death on the cross and his life and resurrection mean for uh, salvation. So it is a kind of a systematic theological approach, but it's not abstract. Um, I'm looking at it in regards to uh, how survivors of sexual abuse uh, receive that doctrine. So looking at the ways the doctrine, um, the way that uh, Christ's death on the cross, uh, the violence of it has been connected with salvation, I argue wrongly. And the idea of uh, like, if, if Jesus suffered for all humankind, that means that we as a logical extension of that need to suffer. And what does that mean for people who've suffered abuse and then experienced trauma? So uh, it's pretty heavy, but I think it's important work. And um, it has a personal element for me. I'm a survivor myself. And um, my faith is a big part of my, my journey of both having been hurt by the church and healing. And so uh, I bring my own perspective into that. And um I know Brad because we both attended the Methodist Theological School in Ohio, um, Methesco. Woot! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we both got our MDivs there together at the same time. And Brad was always an excellent presence on campus and a good friend. So I'm just really grateful to be here. I'm grateful to have you. I'm excited that, that we can reconnect like this, Faith. We had a Indeed. lot, of, a lot yeah. of fun times together at MTSO. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, kind of a little uh, point of synchronicity, I actually contacted Brad um, because in my role with Red Letter Christians UK, um, I've been working with Shane Claiborne and we've been looking to have some more synergy between Red Letter Christians US and UK. And he'd asked, do you know anyone who's working with Jesus and justice I need to talk to? And I was like, you need to talk to Brad Davis. Nice. And so... Um, when I, when I asked Brad about being interviewed for uh, the Red Letter Christians podcast, he apparently had been talking to you about having me interviewed here. So there was just this fun little Holy Spirit synergy happening there. It's the Holy Ghost, y'all. It's the Holy Ghost. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That's such good stuff. I'm fascinated. Uh, Yeah. I was reading, you know, online, you sent me a link to, you know, the description of your, um, your research project. Mm -hmm. And then just as you were describing it, and um, it, it sounds, you know, it sounds like this really interesting, again, kind of use that word synergy, this kind of synergistic um, dynamic of of process theology and systematic theology. Mm. And we don't always think of those two as being, you know, good, good bedmates together. Mm. Um but but that's yeah I mean and, and maybe I'm reading more into it than is there but mm. um, as as someone who's just been starting to kind of dip my toes into the world of process theology and mm. um, you know kind of rethinking you know what some of these doctrines that we've kind of inherited uh, what those things really mean and then to to listen to to what you're saying about looking at that through the lens mm. of survivors of abuse um, and bringing that particular um, context, perspective, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just think it's really important, you know, that, that we keep those, all of those intersections, those mm-hmm. contextual intersections in mind. So, yeah. So what drew you to, to go to uh, Birmingham uh, to do this study and, uh, and, and how did you get started on it? Well, uh, first, before I go to that, I just want to say I'm not a process theologian. I actually, it's interesting that you brought that up. I'm not sure where that came from, but 
Uh, I am a relational theologian. I believe in relational theology, but not process theology. So that's uh, that could be a whole other conversation that we could uh, (laughs) could get into. Uh, But uh, just to answer your actual question, um, the way that I got over here is a little bit more of my story. Um, When I got my MDiv at at Mathesco, I had the intention of being ordained as a Unitarian Universalist minister. I was on the ordination track. And um, actually, through the course of, you know, theological development and seminary, one of the things they tell you is you're going to grow and change. You might not end up in the same place. And <laughs> I was like, Psh, whatever, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and it turned out I discovered through that process that theologically, I was not a Unitarian Universalist. And I like ordination wasn't the track for me. I didn't want to lead a congregation. That wasn't where my skills and talents lay. And so I was like, well, I'm in this program. I believe God's doing something with it. So I'm going to complete it. And so um, in the process of that, I found that I love the study of Christian doctrine, which, you know, Unitarian Universalists are not necessarily Christians. There are Christians who identify that way, but it's, um, it's a, uh, it's its own kind of religious movement that accepts people of all faiths and none toward mm-hmm. uh, the end of justice work. And um so I, I really got into looking at um, Christian doctrines uh, that had affected me in, in essence. Like I didn't realize that the way that I'd received atonement was a big part of the reason I'd left the church until I looked at other ways of viewing the cross. You know, I, as a survivor of abuse, the idea that like God would send his son to be abused to the point of death on my behalf was pretty horrifying. Yeah. So um looking at other ways that, uh, that that doctrine has been understood made me realize I had a connection um, with the faith. And also I encountered Jesus and reading the gospels in a different way. Cause I had to take a class in the Bible and I was like, I don't want to read the Bible. I'm not Christian, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So the way I got here is um, I reconnected actually with the Pentecostal faith that I grew up with. I, I grew up in a very conservative kind of fundamentalist Pentecostal church, but I connected with Pentecostal theology and taking systematic theology um, at Mathesco. And I didn't even know Pentecostals had theology, but I, you know, I was just like, what are you talking about? It's not, but, um, and just reading all this beautiful uh, work about the work of the Holy spirit, I got, I really wanted to study, you know, theology from that perspective, but informed by feminist ideas and progressive, uh, progressive understandings of how we engage with the world. And I found that in Pentecostal theology and um, the University of Birmingham has the Center for Pentecostal and Theological Study, which is one of the best places to study Pentecostal theology in the world, as it turns out. And um, I'd made a connection with uh, Cheryl Peterson, who teaches theology at uh, the Lutheran uh, Seminary in uh, in Columbus. She doesn't teach at Mathesco, but she teaches at another seminary in Columbus. And um, I, when I, as I'd been looking, I decided I wanted to get a PhD and I wanted to teach theology and I wanted to learn more and study more. And she uh, connected me with Wolfgang von Dye who's the uh, a Pentecostal systematic theologian here at University of Birmingham. And uh, long story short, I had a correspondence with him. He asked for a proposal for a PhD thesis, which is how it works here. And he accepted me as a doctoral student. And so um, to be able to get to work here uh, with a scholar of that magnitude in literally one of the best places to, be, to do this in the world is has just been an honor and a privilege. So I'm just really lucky to be able to study here. 
Very cool. So I'm interested to hear it. So as your research has um, started to to kind of unfold, mm-hmm. um, what what kinds of things are you are you learning about? I, I'm just I'm so fascinated with all of again those intersections, you know, mm-hmm. of Pentecostal theology, feminist theology, progressive theology, mm-hmm. um, you know, survival, uh, abuse, survival, all of that. So mm-hmm. what you know what is what where is this research leading you that you're doing? Yeah. So uh, the way the way in for me is a uh, I'm looking at a theology of the body or a somatology. Um, so the reason that I'm trying to work from a theology of the body is I want to understand what embodied redemption means for people who've experienced bodily violation, because uh, looking at a uh, looking at trauma literature and trauma theology, uh, what happens to the body in trauma is uh, essentially. Uh, trauma is uh, pain experienced in the body, or at least psychological trauma is, that exceeds suffering. So the difference between trauma and suffering is that if you're suffering, you're able to um, essentially make sense of your suffering somehow. It's like you've experienced pain that you're able to fit into a life narrative. That's not what happens with traumatic memories. With trauma, Um, The trauma becomes stored in the body in such a way that it becomes inaccessible. So uh, that's a that's a short term protection mechanism for the body in order to protect it from having to deal with that pain. Um, But as such, it can't be integrated into a life narrative. And so people become frozen. So what what I'm interested in is what does redemption of the body mean for people who have essentially these aspects of their body that are inaccessible and can't be integrated into a life narrative. And so some of the, some of the after effects of trauma are, um, you know, inability to engage in meaningful relationship with others, uh, trouble with um, commitment and uh, things like that because of the inability to trust others because of what's happened. So I'm really interested in theologically, like what does it mean for like what Jesus suffered and um, how his suffering and more importantly, I think his resurrection uh, can speak to new life for people who've experienced trauma and how um, the community of Jesus, the who are the body of Christ, have a responsibility responsibility to walk and be in relationship with those who are experiencing trauma and be a place where people can heal. So these are these are some of the things that I'm looking at. And so uh, looking at how the body can become transformed through the acts of a uh, Christian worship, through living toward justice, through being able to narrate one's story and get to a place of healing where one can even have a narrative that makes sense of it. So uh, th- these are some of the big questions I'm dealing with. It's so fascinating as, as I'm sitting here listening to you speak about that. I'm thinking about generational trauma, right? Absolutely. How, how, how trauma mm-hmm. is passed down uh, mm-hmm. to descendants that 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 those stored memories are embedded in our bodies. Uh, yes, absolutely. How, how how does what the work that you are doing tie into that aspect mm-hmm. of of trauma related response? Yeah, so it's a good question. I've started to read a little more about theological or uh, generational trauma, but um, I'm not actively engaging it with my work just because of the scope of what that would mean. But it's um, like I would it would have to be 10 times as long, but it actually um, 
for uh, me, you know, and for a lot of folks who have grown up in situations of generational trauma, it's like, it's not like, it really isn't like you're just born as a blank slate into the world, which some people seem to assume, and then like something bad happens. It's like, if, if you have, if you're in a dysfunctional family system where you're coming from trauma, it tends to repeat and repeat. And so that's where I see um, theologically the body of Christ having a responsibility to model a different type of community. And that can be really life-giving for especially kids who are coming out of situations of trauma, if they can have a place where something else is being modeled for them, because uh, we, we basically live into what's been modeled for us. And if you live in a situation of trauma and dysfunction, that's what you're going to live into. So it's, it can really challenge the church to say, how can we model um, a countercultural narrative to that? Mm, yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking, Brad, about how that, um, how that ties into the work you've been doing, you know, in the, in the West Virginia coal fields, um, you know, that, that embodied generational trauma that that we don't that that, that we, we don't even know that we're carrying exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so how do you and and what I'm thinking about through all of that is then how do you take the you know for instance faith the research that you're doing mm-hmm. you know the work you're doing yeah and as you begin to sort of build um, a theology around that how how then do you begin to communicate that to a congregation, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Or, yeah. Uh, or in, in some kind of context, how yeah. do you how do you begin to teach others from that perspective, I guess? Well, I've already started doing a little bit of that. So the church community I'm part of, uh, we, uh, we had uh, this uh, weekly, uh, once a month, we did what was called real talks. You know, we're revisiting how this is going to look, but we'd look at an area of like life and faith and kind of give people a chance to conversationally deal with it. So, um, me and another member of our congregation talked about um, uh, forgiveness and how the church has uh, understood forgiveness in terms of like the specific scenario of uh, people who've experienced abuse by a leader in the congregation or other people in the congregation and how they've been expected to present forgiveness. And we've talked theologically about the problems with that when you're expecting an abused person to um give this act of absolution to someone who has power over them and how destructive that can be in a church environment if there's not also accountability and change. And so uh, that's one way I've done that is through direct teaching. Um, Another way is I've been starting to present my work at conferences. Um, I'd like to start publishing some materials that can be accessible to congregations, maybe curriculum development and things like that. So I'm possibly talking and going out and giving talks to churches and things like that. It's, uh, there are a lot of possibilities and we'll see. Uh, I think, I know, I think what, what I heard in that is, is the very, very important point that, that there really has to be an intersection of forgiveness with justice. Yes, Absolutely. That, that that justice that that there can be no forgiveness without justice. Yes, uh, being tied into that. Yeah, and this gets right back to what your theology of the cross is, because if you believe that the cross is about um, humanity deserving punishment and Jesus just taking that punishment in your place, 
it's like, oh, I'm absolved of everything. But how did, how is that transformative? If you're like, oh, well, Jesus took it all for me. It's like, then <clears throat> where's the accountability there in, in faith communities? So was there a, a, a particular moment that you can point to in your um, in your studies at MTSO or, or outside of that where the light switch came on for you? Mm-hmm. Where, where you had that, that aha moment, that epiphany, like, wait a minute, that there's, there's something more to what Jesus did on the cross than what I grew up with. Uh, well, there were a lot of those. Um, just, <laughs> you know, the, on the academic side, there was uh, getting to be in uh, Linda Mercadante's um, introduction to theology class uh, was huge. And, and getting to look at doctrine from different perspectives and be like, wow, what I received growing up was actually really narrow. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then there's I am a Pentecostal mystic. So in the course of uh, reading the Gospels and studying them in Ryan Schellenberg's um, introduction to New Testament class, I I had, you know, the whole personal experience of Jesus. And I had what I would um, consider a personal kind of revelation always tied to the biblical revelation and community of um, Jesus taking my pain on the cross and taking something for, for me and from me, but for the point of holistic like transformation, which is, you know, it took me a long time to get those words around it, you know, but um, Mm. so for me, it was a combination of study being around a community of Christians that were, as I say, modeling something different and um, you know, having, you know, a very kind of typical evangelical Pentecostal conversion. So it was really a confluence of a lot of things together there, which I think is everyone's story. Well, I don't want to speak for everyone, but, you know, if I think there can be a pressure in the church to like tie it down to one date, like on August 1st, 1997, everything fell into place. But, you know, there were definitely peak moments, but it was really being around a community and, you know, this opportunity to be exposed to a different way of loving over time, maybe. Yeah. I like that. That I've often described my own experience as being less like um, walking into a dark room and flipping on a light switch and more like a dimmer slowly being mm. turned up as, and more and more things get revealed over time. Mm. <laughs> and so to be able to kind of place, you know, an exact time and date on that mm. always seemed a little, um, a little troubling to me because I just, mm. that was never, I'm sure some people do have that experience. Mm. Um, but that was, that was never my experience. And, and what you just described really resonated, mm. um, really resonated with me. So what is it about, uh, particularly about, um, the, the Pentecostal context mm. that, um, that illuminates this work for you? Yeah. So, um, A lot of Western theology, especially North American Protestant theology, has been very head focused, especially thinking about the cross. It's like, well, let's um, let's analyze like this kind of cognitive understanding of uh, what happens. And uh, there's this idea of a forensic uh, understanding. So it's a it's a legal transaction. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's like uh, God is the judge and this is taking place in a courtroom and, you know, your, your legal debt is wiped um, and therefore you're free. But if you look at the experience of people who experience trauma, um, 
it's like, especially sexual trauma. If a lot of people, it's like, you can take your abuser to court, but even if they're sentenced and it's like, oh, you get justice, your, your body is still living with that trauma. And so, um, it's, uh, you know, theology is, I'm not trying to like say the courtroom is like God's courtroom, but you know, if that's how you frame your theology, you can think of it that way. And you miss what happens to people in their bodies. And so, um, yeah, so the way the Pentecostal theology comes into it is Pentecostal theology is practice, praxis. It's about, it, it is worship. It's transformation that comes through being in worship with the body of Christ. And there, there's this uh, transformative thing that happens through being in a community of folks sharing testimonies, being in a community where folks are caring for one another, where you're praying for one another, and there's that space for the Holy Spirit to work in different ways. And so um, trauma literature is showing that um, one of the limitations of healing from trauma is psychotherapy that's only talk focused. So there's this uh, great book by Bessel van der Kolk called uh, The Body Keeps the Score, which um, talks about how um, recovering from trauma is about moving one's body and being able to engage with one's embodied narrative in ways that are affective, that engage with the emotions. And these are some of the promises that I think um, Pentecostal theology as practice holds for that, being able to like live in your body in a different way, worship in your body in a different way. And so, um, yeah. And I think to faith and and, uh, if you don't mind to to give me your thoughts on this as well, but, Mm. you know, if if we view uh, the, the cross as the means of salvation and we, and we, think of salvation in its proper sense of being, being made whole mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, 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 and being healed yeah. mm-hmm. of our pain. Then that puts yeah. an entirely, yeah. uh, entirely different spin on, on yes. how we view what Jesus does on the cross and him mm-hmm. uh, uh, entering into our pain so yes. that we could be made yeah. whole. Right. Yeah. And uh, that, that's exactly it. Um, so I'm doing um, what's called, I'm looking at an incarnational atonement model where Jesus takes on all of the pain and sin and brokenness of humanity in his body to heal and elevate it. So um, mm-hmm. for Pentecostals, um, Pentecostals see healing in the atonement. And there's this important verse, uh, by by his stripes, we are healed, which comes from first Peter. And the way that I see that is it's about Jesus taking on, taking on the pain of humanity, not as punishment, not because he's like taking punishment we deserve, but uh, because the way that we're healed is through his transforming our pain into healing. So um, it's more the model of uh, uh, Jesus as physician than like um, like a juridical model or a mm. like legal legal understanding of the cross. So so yeah, Brad. Mm-hmm. That that's so much to me personally. That's so much more satisfying as uh, a theology of atonement mm-hmm. than say penal substitutionary. Yeah, um, atonement theology that. That does uh, the the whole courtroom um, metaphor. I've been reading. I, re- I read Richard Rohr's daily email things every day, and mm-hmm. um, one of the things that he's been talking about lately is th- that you know we have this tendency 
to view um, everything that happens in scripture through that that courtroom sort of lens, right? Mm-hmm. That everything right. is about God as the judge mm-hmm. and and all of these scenes play out in this sort of, you know, cosmic courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Rohr's argument and others is that that we really should see it more as a banquet hall mm-hmm. than as a courtroom mm-hmm. <laughs> with with the divine presence as the host of the banquet. Yep. And that mm-hmm. that changes the yep. way we look at everything yeah. in the scriptural narrative. And yep. it all has to do with where do you start? Like yep. where where do you start telling that story? Does that yes. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. As it's I love that you mentioned the banquet hall because one of the uh one of the directions I'm going with my thesis is I'm arguing that all of Jesus's references and when Paul um refers to uh, Jesus taking the bread and breaking it, those are atonement references. When he says, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood, you know, for you, we participate in in atonement when we take communion every Sunday. I think it should be every Sunday. Sorry, I'm going to put that out there and not. Yeah. So um, I think that's a really important practice for the church is because that that's one of the ways that we uh we um, are in union sacramentally. And if you look at atonement, it comes from an English term at one becoming at mm-hmm. one in communion. And so, uh, yeah. So when Jesus is sharing that meal with us, we are, we are participating in his body as his body. And so there's, um, there's a really important mystical aspect to that, but it's real and it's transformative. And so, yeah, so that gets into Eucharistic uh, theology. Yeah, yeah. So it gets into a whole big circle, but yeah, definitely. That, you know, one of the, I, I tend to look at these, a lot of this stuff through kind of a deconstruction lens too. Mm. And that's, that's sort of where this whole accidental tomatoes thing got started was out of my own experiences of deconstruction and reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And, and, but part of that process to me, always has something to do with replacing um, unhelpful theologies with more helpful theologies, mm. right? And, and that's mm. so. As you're, everything you're saying is just really resonating through mm. through my deconstruction lens, saying yes, this is this is the kind of teaching that you know. If if we had had some of this, you know, more of this in our kind of inherited faith practices, mm. um, we would be doing far less spiritual and religious drama. Yeah. Um, to a lot of folks, I think. Yeah. Uh, I loved, there's a metaphor. I think it was Brian Zond who used this because he wanted to talk about different ways of recovering, uh, recovering ancient theologies. And he doesn't think about it so much as like swapping things out, but he has this beautiful metaphor of a, like renovating a house. And so he's talking about like watching these home renovation shows. And it's like, they have like the shag carpet from the seventies with like decades of cat puke on it or whatever. And it's like, but if you can like kind of lift up that carpet, you can see there's this beautiful hardwood floor underneath it. And so I really love that metaphor. Cause I think there, I think with deconstruction, there can be a fear for some people. And there was for me about sure, yeah, if you're, yeah. if you're just, chucking things. It's like you're losing your faith. And it's, uh, I would see it, you know, my personal view is to see it more like um, examining in a way that honors what is valuable and maybe notices, you know, maybe there's some stuff here that needs to be cleaned off. But to me, for me personally, I found that more helpful and coming without a fear of like losing something valuable. 
So I don't know. I know different people yeah, approach yeah. that differently, but, but yeah, that's, that's how I'm seeing it these days. Yeah. And I think it's what you're describing is, is becoming much more in tune with the, the origins of the faith. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah. Uh, and the, and the traditional models of, of the faith. Uh, mm. it, it's, it's getting back to that and sort of, you know, metaphorically rubbing off the patina mm. uh, that that, that yeah. has that has accumulated over the over the centuries, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Well, there, I, I want to. We're getting you know kind of close to to the end of our time together, and before we get there, I do want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your work with um, Red Letter Christians there in the mm. UK. So yeah. um, so for those who don't know, um, Red Letter Christians is an organization that started here in the U.S. Uh, Shane Claiborne and uh, Tony Campolo and others uh, have, you know, kind of um, put together this organization um, that really wants to take seriously what Jesus says and who mm-hmm. Jesus is. And so you you are part of the that movement in the United Kingdom. So what can you tell us about What's going on with Red Letter Christians over there? And uh, um, yeah, what's what's that all about? Yeah. So I first connected with Red Letter Christians when I was in the U.S. Um, Lots of stories. Uh, Brad, I don't know if you remember, I I drove five and a half hours to go to the Red Letter Revival in Lynchburg, Virginia. And it was when I was just finding out about them. And I was just like... You you invited me to go with you. Yes. And I was upset. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But um, there was just something about this group of people that I was like, I need to be part of this. But um, uh, I did meet Shane when he was doing his tour for uh, Executing Grace, his book against death penalty. He had lunch at uh, our church in my church at the time in uh, Columbus, Ohio, King Avenue United Methodist Church. Um, He shared lunch with us there. But um, so when I came over here, I was looking for churches in Birmingham and I found uh, Inclusive Gathering Birmingham, which I'm now on the leadership team of. And uh, it just so happened that my pastor at that church was uh, was a co-CEO of Red Letter Christians UK. And um, the other co-director was also getting her PhD at University of Birmingham at the time. She's gotten it now and uh, in a different area. She's in science doing something with eyeballs, you know, saving lives. (laughs) But um, but and so I got to know them and be connected with the community. And um, I shared with her about being connected with Red Letter Christians in the U.S. And um, we weren't able to be active with a lot of things here during COVID, but now that things were opening up, um, Danielle and Naomi, the former um, leaders, they were ready to move on to um, other, you know, other things they had going on in their lives. So they very graciously offered myself and Dave and Sally Mann, who've been part of Red Letter Christians and have worked with Shane in the past, um, the role of uh, co-directors, the three of us. And I was incredibly honored to take it on and at this stage, we're really just kind of emerging from COVID and being open and in prayer and um, just work and seeing what God has in store. Uh, we're going to be releasing a book uh, in the next uh, two years or so or about, about stories of Jesus and justice in the UK. So right now we're getting contributors um, who are coming from all areas of uh, Jesus and justice work. And um we're going to be getting that together and um, I'll be doing some editing on that. And so it's right in its infancy stages. We're just planning that. So look for that in the next couple of years. And um, 
yeah, so we're just, we're open to what's next. That's very cool. And and you just, um, I think when we were kind of setting up this interview, you were, you were telling me that you were, um, at the time you were getting ready to go to the Greenbelt yes. Festival, right? Which is, um, which is, you know, the, the original Wild Goose Festival mm-hmm. that exists here in the U.S., which is where I first connected with Shane, um, as you know, back in 2019, I guess. So I'm really curious to hear about, you know, <laughs> the Greenbelt exp- as, as somebody who's kind of now, uh, you know, kind of embedded in the wild goose community here. Mm. Um, I- I'm curious to hear about Greenbelt Festival and because mm. that's kind of our, our origin stories for us here in the U.S. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had attended Wild Goose uh, in the U.S. in 2019. Um, so a, we were there at the same time and didn't even know. Oh, that was the first year funny. I ever went to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I attended with Shannon Trenton, who I also, um, who was also at MTSO with uh, me and Brad. But um, yeah, we, we, um, <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. Uh, I would say it definitely has a similar vibe uh, to uh, Wild Goose in the U.S., which it was. It would, you know, and there were even similar mm-hmm. people. Like uh, we had uh, Brian McLaren this year, Nadia Bowles Weber, who were both at wild goose in 2019 um when i was there mm-hmm. so there's um there's definitely a crossover of people crossover of people crossover of um some emphases there um in terms of um similarities and differences um it's hard to say you know every every festival has its own flavor so sure, yeah. um I was volunteering this year at the Hope and Anchor Tent, which was sponsored by the Methodist Church, which was a dry bar appropriate for Methodists, I guess, uh, <laughs> where um, they talked about uh, different be- big ideas of um, faith and life. And um, I volunteered because I thought I was going to be facilitating those conversations and ended up they had me behind the bar, which is fine. Never worked at a <laughs> bar before. So that was fun for everyone. But um yeah, it's uh, definitely a similar vibe, and um, yeah, love it. Going to go back so next funny. year. That's so yeah, that's so interesting. I, I worked the beer tent at the yeah. Wild Goose Festival. Okay, that's yeah. kind of my my volunteer role there, and uh, mm. you know, because somebody has to be there to put the beer in beer in him. Uh, uh, exactly. <laughs> I can't imagine why you volunteer for that role, Joe. You know, I mean, <laughs> the barstool evangelism is a real thing. You know, that's yeah, uh, that's yep. that's been part of my own ministry story um, going back quite some time. Is mm. um, that's you know the you 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 interact with the most interesting people um, mm-hmm. in those kinds of environments. Yep. You know, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Brad, do you have any, any other questions for Faith before we wrap things up here today? No, just, just speaking of interacting with interesting people, it's it's been a joy and a pleasure to reconnect with Faith and, and to have her with us today. And, and several years down the road, Joe, we are going to look back on this day and say, we, we had Faith Van Horn on our podcast before she became Faith Van Horn. Hey, I'm still me. <laughs> before before she got famous. So, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. This will probably be the launch pad for that. Yes. Whole, so, I mean, that's, I, we, I just, if it's not, we will take credit for it. Yeah. I, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> See, I'm just assuming I'm going to be saying that about Brad Davis and Joe Webb. So, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I don't know. These, these conversations are so amazing, and that's that's why we love doing what we do. Faith, thank you so much for taking the time to to be with us for this episode. Um, I, you've got so much interesting work going on that uh, I intend to continue to follow, and hopefully, we can have you back sometime and and talk some more about some of these some of these really fascinating concepts. Yeah, so thanks, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. I'll absolutely come back. Great being with you, Faith. Yeah, you too, Brad. Good to see you. Blessings, my friend. Blessings to you both. Thanks. That was another one of those conversations that really could have gone on for probably a lot longer. Uh, Faith had so many fascinating uh, ideas and concepts that I think we just would have loved to have had a little bit more time to unpack, uh, but maybe we will be able to, to have her back for a future episode. Uh, until then, as always, if you have comments or feedback on this episode or suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to us on one of our social media channels. Just do a search for Accidental Tomatoes on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and drop us a note there, or you can send us an email to accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And so until next time, my friends, keep on growing outside the fences and join us for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.